Welcome to Trial Stories, an informative discussion of civil justice with a focus on the human story. I'm your host, Arkady Frechtman, a New York City trial lawyer passionate about helping serious injury victims and their families. Hi, everybody. This is Arkady Frechtman, and welcome to our channel. Today, we're going to talk about traumatic brain injuries and we're going to look at verdicts. We did a similar video about spinal fusions in New York. And today we're going to look at recent New York verdicts and settlements for traumatic brain injury, uh, all types of brain injuries, mild traumatic brain injuries, post-concussive syndromes, and maybe even a little bit about just concussions in general, because a concussion is a type of brain injury. So let's get started. It's interesting. I did a little bit of research. I have the cases here on my screen, so I'm going to read a little bit and maybe look at the cases. I highlighted some information. I'm going to share it with you and we could discuss it and analyze it. And I think it's really important for anyone who's either dealing with a case of mild traumatic brain injury themselves or somebody who's just interested in learning about how the law works, because the ultimate goal of the law is to put the person back in the same position they were in before they got injured. And if it's an injury of their executive functioning, right, of their prefrontal cortex or of their executive functioning of their brain, that's what makes someone who they are. So an injury to the brain is a life-changing forever injury. And so it is just so catastrophic and it changes the person. It changes the relationship of the person to their family. It changes their ability to work. It changes everything about that individual. So how does the law compensate someone for a brain injury? So here's the first case. The first case was actually against the United States of America. It was for a minor and it happened in, um, it happened here in uh, district court, in federal court, in the Southern District, which is in Manhattan. And it was a case that resolved in May of 2020 during the pandemic, and it actually settled. And what happened was um, an infant, a minor, uh, claimed, the lawsuit was uh, an allegation or a claim, that she suffered cardiopulmonary arrest, aspiration, aspiration, pneumonia, brain damage, hypoxic and anoxic brain injuries, hypoxic ischemic encephalopathy. Now encephalopathy is when you lose oxygen to the brain and then a left parietal hematoma, seizures, diffuse and or multifocal cerebral dysfunction, a cortex dysfunction, a parietal fracture, blindness, loss of voice. And all this happened when the infant received treatment at a healthcare facility funded by the defendant, the United States of America. That's why it was in federal court because it was against the federal government. And she received this treatment at a healthcare facility over 22 months. Uh, and so the complaints, the reason she went to the healthcare facility in the first place, she had some spitting up, coughing, choking, uh, some respiratory difficulties. And so she filed a lawsuit under the Federal Tort Claims Act which allows you to sue the federal government. Like for example, the case against the United States Post Office, that would all be, if you get hit by a postal truck, that would all be Federal Tort Claims Act. And these cases are defended by the Attorney General, the US Attorney General. And uh, so the case settled for $5 million, $5 million uh, straight. 
So, okay, let's go to the next case. The next case is a case in Queens County, and it settled in December of 2018, and it was a construction accident. There was actually a verdict in this case. It wasn't a settlement, I apologize. It was uh, an Asian man who was a bricklayer, and what he claimed was that he suffered a traumatic brain injury with post-traumatic seizures. He also had bilateral subdural intracranial hemorrhages, edema with cranial pressure, which rendered him unable to care for himself, resulting in placement in a long-term care facility. So this was a very serious brain injury. He had fractures in the calvarium, non-displaced fractures of the parietal bone, reactive thrombocytosis, respiratory failure, pleural effusion, facial traumas, tongue lacerations, so all this happened when he was working on an elevated platform or scaffold at a construction project owned by a company, an LLC, limited liability company, and they were the general contractor. And what happened was that entire platform collapsed and he fell to the ground landing on his head. So it was a really tragic, traumatic injury, a truly traumatic, life-changing injury. And um, he sued under the labor law, which in New York allows for construction workers to get absolute liability. The law doesn't care about any contributory negligence or anything the worker did wrong. The worker receives absolute protection as long as it's gravity related. So if the worker is standing on a ladder or a scaffold or any kind of elevated platform and they fall an appreciable height, let's say, you know, five feet or more, 10 feet, 20 feet, anything like that, any kind of height, gravity related, then the worker is protected and the liability is already determined as a matter of law. The only question is the damages and the damages in these cases are usually very high because you have serious injuries, pain and suffering. You have non-economic damages, including loss of enjoyment of life. You have the wages the worker would, would be earning and workers tend to be young, so you'd have future wages if it's a serious injury for the rest of their life up till time when they're like 75. Then you have the union benefits, so you need an economist, you might need a vocational rehabilitation expert. So here in this case, they had all that and they won summary judgment and um, they actually stipulated that medical expenses would be 1.3 million. So I guess they had the medical records and they knew what the medical costs would be. And so they stipulated to medical expenses. And so the total verdict the verdict in this case was $22 million, a very high verdict in Queens, a very good result. Um, and ultimately, there part of the verdict was the 1.3 that would be added to the verdict because the parties both stipulated to the medical expenses. And then the plaintiff's spouse filed a claim for loss of services. And that part of it was $4 million for the spouse for the loss of services, the loss of consortium because she lost basically like her husband, not only as a companion, as somebody who is basically the marriage, right? It was, it was really affected because the husband now has to live in an adult care, long-term care facility. And it's a very, very serious, life-changing forever injury. So she loses everything, right? The intimacy, the companionship, basically loses her husband. So actually 4 million is kind of low for that, but the, the total verdict was 22 million. Okay, and the next one is also a construction um, injury. And what happened here was it happened in the lawsuit was in, also in Queens. And what happened here was, um, let's see here. Oh, this was actually a security, gu a security guard. 
and she was uh, working at a hospital that was undergoing renovations. And she alleged a traumatic brain injury as well as cervical disc bulges in her neck, herniations also in her neck with radiculopathy. That's the traveling pain that travels from your neck down to your shoulders and your arms. And what happened was she passed through a set of interior double doors that were part of an overhead door mechanism. And the whole thing dislodged from an adjacent wall and struck her on the head. So she contended the contractor and um, the hardware, the door company, the acoustic, some kind of acoustics, they were all negligent in the management, maintenance, and control of the premises and for causing and allowing the existence of a dangerous and defective condition and for violating New York Labor Law Section 200. Now, Section 200 is the common law. So basically, they have to have just a common law, be, be careful, it can't be negligent, reasonable care. That's the common law. Now, she might have had to allege the common law because she was working as a security guard. So she wasn't actually the construction worker. If she was a worker, then she would be alleging maybe 241.6, an industrial code violation under Title 23, or 240 if it was gravity. This sounds like it could be gravity related, but it would have to be if something fell on her head, it would have to have fallen a falling object and it would have to be an object that was being hoisted or secured as part of the construction, right? So she sounds like she might have not been part of the construction. But anyway, the, the damages were disputed. And at trial, um, the jurors had to answer the question of whether the defendants were negligent, number one. And second, if they were negligent, was their negligence a substantial factor in causing the accident? And the jurors responded yes to both questions. Then it was time to allow for damages. And the jurors allowed for $12,855,787, including $3 million for past pain and suffering and loss of enjoyment of life, $7.95 million for future pain and suffering and loss of enjoyment of life, and $117,000 for loss of future Social Security retirement income. So that was, that was another Queen's case. Okay, the next case is a case that happened actually a while back in July of 2015, and this was a motorcycle crash. What happened here was the primary injury was brain damage. Oh, it's, now it's very, also a very, very serious injury. So what happened here was the injury was brain damage, including a 19-day coma, a scalp avulsion, which exposed brain matter, multiple facial and orbital fractures, bilateral frontal encephalomalacia, hydrocephalus with enlarged ventricles. So very, very serious, serious injuries resulting in deficits in speech, language, attention, intellectual functioning, short-term memory, left eye vision loss, depression. And this all happened because a public roadway head-on collision between a motorcycle that the plaintiff was riding on and a car owned by the defendant, who was an individual. And, and after everything got made worse, it was called exacerbation because a security guard who worked for a local hospital, nearby hospital, slammed the plaintiff's head into a cork board three months after the motor vehicle accident. So this is an interesting case. I think what happened was because of the serious brain injury in the motorcycle crash, the plaintiff was suing an individual, right? The, the, the driver of the car that crashed into him. He was in a hospital because of his injuries, a nearby local hospital in Queens, New York. 
and he was exhibiting signs of erratic uh, behavior, disruptive, unsafe behavior. And then the security guard in the hospital battered him, took his head and hit it into this board. And so that aggravated and exacerbated his pre-existing injuries from the motorcycle crash, which just happened three months before. So what the plaintiff did was he sued for both. And I believe the pattern jury instructions allow you to do that, you know, if you can't really tell like which incident led to the injuries or if both incidents led to the injury. So he almost had like two cases in one. And ultimately the jury said that 55% uh, was the fault of the driver that hit him. And 45% was the fault, fault of that security guard who hit his head into the board. And they um, allowed for, um, I think, 14 million for pain and suffering related to the motor vehicle crash. And the total verdict was um, 16 million. So I guess the rest of it was because of that security guard. It's, um, yeah, it's an interesting case. Maybe later in another video, I could actually look at that PJI section if anybody's interested and talk about how that works when you have like two cases and you could sue for like for two cases in one. It's interesting. Okay. The next one is a really big case. Also in Queens, for some reason, a lot of these cases are in Queens. Uh, this was a construction accident. And what happened here was that uh, a 20 year old male construction worker suffered a traumatic brain injury and it resulted in permanent cognitive injuries. And he suffered multiple rib fractures, multiple spinal fractures a renal hematoma, splenic laceration, and a lung contusion. And he was working at a construction project at a premises owned by the defendant. And he was using a pole to prevent a suspended basket from hitting newly installed siding on a garage. And he fell 20 feet from the roof. And he argued that the owner and the general contractor violated labor law section 240, which is the gravity, the ele elevation, right? That's, you get summary judgment as a matter of law. And then the defendant denied liability and argued that the plaintiff was provided all the proper safety devices. And the plaintiff's employer agreed to indemnify the defendants up to the limits of its primary and excess insurance policies. So the total verdict here was actually 62 million $60,086. So that was a really big verdict. I guess the injuries were just so drastic that uh, it went for like a really big amount. So this was actually, um, I, this is, there's more cases here. This is actually a list. So when you search for the jury verdicts, you could sort the verdicts, right? So this is a list where the ultimate award, whether it's a settlement or a verdict, was higher than a certain amount. I think 5 million. So that's the highest that you could go. So that's why some of them are five, some of them are 12, 16, the highest, I think 62. Uh, the next one is 18 million. But basically, um, you know, you could do searches just for like brain injuries in general and you get all the cases. So let's take a look at that because I don't, I don't want to just limit it to these really, really monster huge verdicts and give, give people an impression that all cases are so high. There's also cases that just go from 1 million to 2 million. There are cases that go from 2 million to 5 million. And then um, there, there are cases, for example, where you could just search the term um, mild traumatic brain injury, and then you get all the cases for mild traumatic brain injury. Now, that's known as an MTBI. And I've said before in other videos that I believe MTBI is a misnomer. There's no such thing because a brain injury 
is a serious injury to your brain, to someone's, you know, head to their brain. It cannot be mild. So the reason it's called mild is because of different classifications, different things, but ultimately there's no such thing as a mild traumatic brain injury, but I wanted to put that word in there to see if there are cases that are smaller because the doctors come to court and they say, this is an MTBI. You know, is that, is that, is that, is the framing, right? Is the way you call something, would that affect the ultimate result? So let's take a look. Here's a case. Here's a case of MTBI that happened also in Queens. And what happened here was a person was, a woman actually was working as uh, at a shipping company and she claimed mild traumatic brain injury, post-concussion syndrome, persistent headaches, dizziness, difficulties with speech, memory and concentration, herniated discs in her cervical neck and cervical radiculopathy, the traveling pain down to the arms. She said she needed interventional pain management, disc decompression surgery. And what happened was she was struck on the head by a piece of ice that fell from an awning as she was walking by a building owned by the defendant. It was like a condominium building. And she argued that the defendant was negligent in allowing the premises to be in this unsafe condition with accumulated ice. They failed to inspect, they failed to maintain, and they failed to warn. So the defendant denied liability and disputed that the injuries uh, even came from this. They argued her disc problems were from living her life. They were degenerative. That means like living your life, a normal aging process. And then they argued she did not have radiculopathy or any neurological limitations. And they had a bifurcated trial, meaning that first there was a trial about who was at fault or liability, and then there would be the trial about damages. So in the trial on liability, the, plain, the plaintiff won, and they said, yeah, the, the, it was dangerous. But then on the trial on damages, they allowed for 100,000. And before the trial started, the parties entered into a high-low where the high would be 500,000. So even if she got one of those verdicts that we just talked about, right, like 18 million, she would just get 500,000 because that's the high. And then the low was 75,000. So the, if the jury said, you know what, you're a faker, get zero, get out of here, she would still get the 75. So she had that low, the protection of the 75,000, and she had a high of 500. So she agreed to that with her lawyer. You don't have to agree to that, but she, she did. She chose to. That's a choice that you could make to give you some protection. So anyway... So the verdict was 100,000. So she beat the low, but she didn't really, uh, well, she was not able to get as much as probably she wanted. And I'm not, you know, I don't know the details of the case. I don't know why it happened. I know the doctor that testified is a pretty good doctor, the neurologist. I'm just looking at the case here. It also happened in Queens. A lot of it depends on, you know, what kind of jury you pick. Um, but that's just, that's just one case for MTBI. The next case for MTBI, this is just, remember, remember, this is just searching the word mild traumatic brain injury. You put it in quotation marks, so you only get that search term. And now the next case was only 50,000, which is very low also. And what happened was a bicyclist who was a child was riding a bicycle and he was listening to music on actually on her cell phone and swerved into the path of a car. And she was not wearing a helmet, suffered a fracture of the right sphenoid bone, right temporal hematoma, and a mild traumatic brain injury. And they reached the 50,000 structured settlement. I guess because maybe they were at fault if they were listening to headphones and just swerved, but they did some kind of annuity to get more money out of it, but 50,000 is pretty low. This is a case from Albany too, it's upstate New York, so maybe that would affect it. 
Okay, the next case here was a case where a pedestrian was crossing a roadway. It happened in, uh, it was actually in Southern District Federal Court. Um, and it looks like, yeah, it looks like uh, it was also mild brain damage. It was an adult female house cleaner. And she claimed that she suffered post-traumatic headaches, secondary to mild traumatic brain injury, a cervical sprain or strain, herniated cervical and lumbar discs, radiculopathy at C67, L5S1, that's the lumbar, the L5, the C is the cervical, which is the neck. She had a right meniscal tear and she was attempting to cross the street and she was hit by a car owned by the United States of America's Postal Service, also federal tort claims. That's why I went to the Southern District and there was a trial and ultimately she got zero. They just didn't like the liability. I'm not sure, it doesn't say exactly why. I guess they were arguing that the postal truck driver failed to see what there was to be seen and because he moved from a parking position when it was not reasonably safe to do so. But the defendant denied liability and argued that the plaintiff's injuries were, caused, were not caused by any contact between the plaintiff and the car, the, the postal vehicle, and argued that the plaintiff was negligent in walking across the street without a crosswalk. And it claimed that she failed to mitigate her damages and failing to seek timely medical care. So then, yeah, the, the jury agreed and allowed for zero. Now, remember, in federal court, it's hard because the jurors are, you know, you sometimes picked by the judge. So you don't even get to do attorney voir dire. So that could also be a reason. In federal court, like I think the, the Southern District will draw jurors from Manhattan as well as Westchester. So it might be a little bit conservative. I know the Eastern District, which is in Brooklyn federal court, draws jurors from Brooklyn, but also from Long Island, as far as Suffolk County, I believe. So that could also be some conservative people. So it just depends. And if you don't get a chance to even speak to the jurors, that's, that always makes it a lot tougher. But yeah, I mean, I'm just looking through these verdicts. I can't do every case, but just looking through these verdicts where we searched for mild traumatic, we see another one for 100,000, another defense, meaning zero, another one for defense, um, here's a 225,000. So I think like, you know, if the doctors come to court and they argue that it's a mild traumatic brain injury, it looks like what happens is the jurors for the most part give less money because, you know, it seems like it's mild, it's nothing, it's going to go away. So you don't want to use that word. And really it's a misnomer because all brain injuries are serious changes to your brain, permanent brain injuries. They're not mild. So here's one actually where it was mild. They, I mean, it was it claimed it claimed that it was a mild traumatic brain injury. It was also a construction labor law 240, the height, and the the verdict was it was actually a mediated settlement. So everyone agreed, but it was 2.2 million. So that's a little bit better. You want to see some high numbers for the mild people too? Okay, so that's the mild category. And then what other searches did I do? The other search I did was um, post concussive syndrome. I was just curious about that post-concussive syndrome, because that's also a type of brain injury. You know, uh, there's literature out there, especially more recently, that says that a concussion is a brain injury. And this is post-concussive syndrome, meaning that you have the concussion, but then you have a syndrome of the concussion. It doesn't just go away because like football players, they play football, they get a concussion, they have to be out for a week, right? That's the protocol. And then if everything is back to normal, they're better, they can go back to play football and hopefully everything will resolve. But with um, this type of case, with the post-concussive syndrome, it doesn't go away, it stays. So let's see some of these cases. Um, 
here's a case. I mean, here's a case uh, in Nassau County, which is Long Island, with a herniated disc as well as post-concussive syndrome. It was a nine-year-old. And what happened was he suffered two herniated discs. He was a backseat passenger of a car driven by his mother. And uh, the defendant was backing up and struck the front of the vehicle where the plaintiff was sitting. And the plaintiff argued that the defendant was negligent and uh, the defendant reportedly denied liability. So this was a case that I believe it settled during trial or it settled in August of 2020 in Nassau. Nassau is a fairly conservative venue. It settled for $20,000. So not a big number, but you know, we don't really know. I mean, really nine-year-olds shouldn't have herniated discs, but at the same time, perhaps there was an issue uh, with the case. The, the, the summary is very, very short, so it's hard to see what the issue is, but that's fairly low for herniations as well as post-concussive. Here's another one with post-concussive in Nassau County, and this one settled for 17500 So you see, like, once you start using words like post-concussive syndrome, mild traumatic brain injury, the numbers go way down. Like, if you have a true traumatic brain injury, 60 million, 18 million, 12 million. And when you have, you know, more like, oh, I have a concussion, people think that's going to go away. It's not permanent, and the numbers are much smaller. Thank you.